0: to be together. Um, Last week we announced that King's Church football team had won their match 8-0. There was great rejoicing. Um, This week they were in the cup that was in their league game. They're in Division 4. There's four divisions. They're in Division 4. Everybody say, ah. This week was the cup game where they were drawn against a team in Division 1. And yesterday, the good news is they're still in the cup. Uh, there wasn't a score, it was snowed off, Coffo. Um, but they're still in the cup. That's good news. That's good news. There's all sorts of games and things you can play if you're part of King's Church. The latest game, of course, is Top Trumps with these cards. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go and pick up one of these cards. And um, they're not really Top Trumps, they're, they're, they're the Connect groups with pictures of the Connect groups. Really encourage everyone. Just to join in on those. I think this is fantastic, what Richard preached on last week, Christ the Crucified King, and notes that you can pick up and really encourage all the Connect Group leaders to take them so you can actually look at these, perhaps if you want to, in your group this week. It would be fantastic to do. Um, I want to carry on this morning and just pick up from where Richard left off uh, last week, talking about Christ the Crucified King, just this whole thing of us being challenged with the Lordship of Jesus. And remember, the passage that Richard read to us last week was about Joshua crossing the River Jordan. And, uh, you know, he'd entered the promised land. Jericho was in front of him. Joshua was someone who knew the word of God. He knew he was the head and not the tail. He had wisdom. He'd got divine strategies. He'd got authority. And then the appearance of God the Son in human flesh ahead of time, uh, come, you know, ahead of him coming as a baby to Bethlehem. A possible Christophany, appearance of Jesus in human flesh ahead of time in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, comes to him. Joshua five thirteen. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? The answer comes back, neither. What sort of answer is that? But as commander of the army of the Lord, I've now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence. And as Richard explained last week from Revelation, we believe this was nothing other than an appearance of Jesus himself, the commander of the armies of the Lord, appearing ahead of time to Joshua. Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither. I'm the commander of the Lord's armies. I'm for myself. And Joshua, this is something bigger than you. It's not about you. It's not about your enemy. It's all about the king of the universe. It's about the Lord of lords and king of kings. It's about him. Romans eleven thirty six. Paul picks up the same themes when he says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. He's the author of things. He's from them. He's the source of all things. It's through him. And he's the glory of all things. It's to him that we do all things. Let's see. More and more. Even as we talk about praying and fasting in the coming weeks. Let's see more and more encounters. Even as we're singing this morning. And if you're leading us in that glorious song. We want you. We need more of you. Just the longing of our hearts. We want more of you. Let's see more and more encounters. Of uh, King's Church members meeting and encountering the risen Lord Jesus. And being challenged by his Lordship. Um, You know. Just. That uh, we say to him again, you know, last week at the end of the, 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 the preach that Richard brought, last week, so many of us just came and knelt at the front either physically or even where we were in our hearts, confessed Jesus as Lord again and renewed our commitment to his Lordship and said, Jesus, be Lord of my heart. I give myself to you again. I'm not messing around at playing church. I'm not messing around at playing being a follower of yours. I really, really mean it. I give myself completely and utterly to you. Take everything I have. I give my will to you, Lord. I surrender all my thoughts and my ideas to you. Come and take control. You know, be king of my heart. Such a confession is the happiest thing, is good news. It's yes, you might, even as the word came, you might give things up to gain more of him, but what a gain. Get the maths right. It's a gain, it's a win win situation. What you surrender to gain is... is so, somebody, Jim Elliot sacrificed his life... But he wants... Uh, for the cause of a gospel in, in South America... But, but he once said this... He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep... To gain what he cannot lose. Yes. You don't really give anything up... When you're gaining Christ. It's good news to confess him as Lord of your life. Either this gospel is true... Or we're all fools being here this morning. If it's true... Then we gain, we win when we win him. When we gain more of him in our lives, we're winners. It's a win-win situation. Better wins than (laughs) 8-0. You know, such a confession. Jesus, be Lord of my life. Because he is so, so, so good. To submit to his lordship makes you happy. To submit to his rule and reign in your life is a winning situation. Today, I want to challenge us practically how do you not say, but how do you live Jesus is Lord? It's easy to pay lip service to an idea, a concept, a thought, a, an idea, an expression that you like, it sounds good. However, what does it look like when Jesus is Lord of my life? Well, as we said, It does look happy, even if you're going through difficult times, even if there are storms, even if there are challenges in front of you, it looks happy when your will is submitted to His will. It looks happy when He is Lord of your relationships. It looks happy when He's Lord of your thinking. It looks happy when He's Lord of your money. It looks happy when He's Lord of your time. Today, I want us to confess together just one of those things. I want us to confess together that Jesus... You are Lord. You're Lord of my relationships. If we say that, just like Jesus himself, as he grew up, so we read in Luke 2, 52, that that he prospered in all his relationships, that he grew in favor both with God and with men and women, so we too, as we confess him Lord of our relationships, we can find that our marriage prospers. We can find that our friendships prosper. We can find that our relationships at work prosper. As we say to him, be Lord of my relationships. I want to say, it's impossible for him to be Lord of your relationships without the help of God the Holy Spirit. Everything, in fact, in your life that confesses Jesus as Lord is only possible with the presence and help of of the one Jesus referred to as the helper, the Holy Spirit, on the inside of you. You can't even say and mean it, Jesus is Lord, without the help of the Holy Spirit. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, No one, absolutely no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit and mean it. Of course you can say, Jesus is Lord, There, just said it. No. And mean it and live it out. Impossible. Those three words, uh, it's impossible to say with truth in your heart unless you have the help of God the Holy Spirit. You need the help of God the Holy Spirit to say about God the Son that you are Lord so that you can come into the glorious family that the Father of God has. You need the Holy Spirit. Sin's gone as you confess that and mean it so you're born again. You're born from above into this supernatural family of God here on planet Earth. You're born into the family of God by confessing that. You have access by that confession. You have access into a relationship with a holy God. A relationship that is simply not possible at all. Until you come to the place where you confess him as Lord. When you confess Jesus as Lord of your life. You not only change your mind about the direction of your life. But you change your mind about the director of your life. The word confess. It literally means to agree to come to a conclusion with someone else. I want to say, stop the struggle. Come to peace and acknowledge, I'm not Lord. Jesus, you are Lord. I give up the rights to govern my own life. I say, Jesus, be Lord of my life. For example, I say, I'm a sinner. Jesus, you say through that confession that I'm a saint. I agree with you, Jesus. And wow, I live like a saint. How? With the help of God the Holy Spirit, bringing my living into synchronization with the truth of what I've just expressed. Um, You see, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. No one can live Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. One of the saddest things I hear non-Christians say is, I could never be a Christian. I couldn't live it out, and and I wouldn't want to be a hypocrite. Ten out of ten for sincerity, but zero out of ten for understanding the gospel of the kingdom. You enter this kingdom Only with the help of God the Holy Spirit and you continue in the kingdom of God day after day only with the help of the Holy Spirit. Only with the Holy Spirit's help can you possibly confess in your living that Jesus is Lord. Many of us here, we're just like that prodigal son who came to his senses one day and we remember that day when we came to our senses and we said, Jesus, you are Lord. Holy Spirit can help you today, if you've never confessed that, can help you to say those three words and mean them from your heart. But just as we were singing, I believe, I believe in you, that you're saying, yes, this is not about me. It's not about whether it's the Lord is on my side or my enemy's side, it's all about him. I confess your Lord, come and help me, Holy Spirit, day by day to live out that confession. Um, See, I've got good news. The kingdom of God is more than the forgiveness of your past sins. Uh, The kingdom of God is good news about continuing with extraordinary, supernaturally living, inspired by the same spirit who helps you to confess that Jesus is Lord. Are you getting this? To say Jesus is Lord means you need divine help. You can't do it on your own. To live out the gospel day after day after day, you need divine help. Do you see that if you, you or I, if we live one day without needing the help of God the Holy Spirit, we're not living according to our confession as Jesus as Lord. And we are living like hypocrites if we live without the help of God the Holy Spirit let's confess, Jesus is Lord of my relationships. Let's get hold of this, firstly, as biblical truth, as a revelation, not something we understand just with our minds, but something that sinks into our inner beings. Oh, I get it. Jesus, you're interested in my relationships. Jesus, you're Lord of my relationships. See, we're... We're not talking merely about oh, I'm easygoing; I get along with people fine, um, and I'm nice to everyone, and everyone's nice to me. We're talking about living a holy life in a fallen world. Where lying, cheating, deceiving, selfishness, lust, self-gratification are ubiquitous in what Paul calls in Galatians one verse four this present evil age. You see, when Jesus is Lord of your relationships. You live holy and a lifestyle that certainly goes against the grain of this world's culture. And it's naturally impossible to live. You stand out. You live Je- with Jesus as Lord of your relationships, and you stand out from the crowd in the way you relate to others. Uh, you live in purity in any romantic relationship that you might have you don't have any sexual relationship outside of the marriage covenant because Jesus is Lord of your relationships. Paul writes in Ephesians 5 verse 3, he says this, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. You say Jesus is Lord of your relationships and there's no hint of sexual immorality in your relationships with others. Live like that in your hall of residence at university, in your street, in your flat. And you become an outlier in the culture in which we live. You are different when you live like that but you are happily demonstrating the gospel of the kingdom in the way you live with Jesus as Lord of your relationships. You do want to get married. You are attracted to the opposite sex and you start to form friendships in groups and then maybe spending time alone with someone you begin to like. But it's done in such a pure way that there is no sexual, uh, no sexual relationship until you're married. The writer of Hebrews puts it like this in Hebrews 13 verse 4. He says, Honor marriage and guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between wife and husband. God draws a firm line against casual and illicit sex. Jesus is Lord of my relationships. The Holy Spirit enters my inner being and empowers me to say those words and start living them out in a world that less and less honors marriage. Is it just me or do you think when you're watching TV um, that more and more and more it just seems people be getting used to it. You know what we see in the soaps and films and, and people move in with one another and they're living with one another before they even think about getting married. And they're certainly having sexual relationships before they even think of moving in with one another. And do you find yourself, if you're not careful, sometimes being drawn into the, the storyline so much you think, oh great, they've got together and they've gone to Isn't that you think, What are you thinking? <laughs> um, you know, some of our young couples getting married these, you know, this last year, I know some of people surprised that they even want to get married at such an early age. Uh, and people certainly thinking that they will have been having sex regularly before their marriage day. Do you understand you stand out when you live with Jesus as Lord of your relationships? You are different. You're a holy people. It's totally impossible to live like that without His help. And it's totally possible to see His Lordship in this way and relate with others in this way with the empowering help of God the Holy Spirit. It's God glorifying and it makes you happier in the end. Full of the Holy Spirit. His Lordship oozes out of my life and my relationships. Not just in sexual purity. But with love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control in all my relationships. These are so deeply embedded in my heart, in my inner being as the fruits of the Spirit come out because I live conscious of needing the help of God the Holy Spirit day after day. Jesus is Lord of my relationships. He becomes the Lord even of the thoughts of, of my heart in my relationships with others. Thoughts, what we think... Matters. It isn't just even our actions. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 27, You've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, verse 28, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What's Jesus saying? In terms of relationships, what goes on in our hearts is just as important as what we do with our bodies. This is getting impossible now for a red-blooded male to cope with. Um, totally, yes, totally impossible without the help of God the Holy Spirit. Totally possible to have right relationships with others, even in my thinking about them with the presence of the Holy Spirit and confessing his lordship in, as lord of my relationships. Turn to Matthew chapter 5, can we? And verse 21, Jesus says here, You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, says Jesus, that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which means idiot, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, you're coming to worship, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Are you getting this? Thinking even matters. It really matters on a Sunday morning, doesn't it, that our singers and musicians help us to worship. And they did a great job this morning. We'd all be appalled when it came to our corporate time of worship if the singers had their hands in the pockets the whole time, looked miserable, and everybody else around you just followed suit and it was just like a misery meeting. Uh, You know, it really matters what I do at work. It really matters that, When I'm at work, be it in the school classroom, be it here in the church office, be it whatever I'm doing, it really matters that I do it as worship to the Lord. That really matters. Um, We we all hopefully get it that worship really matters to God. However, Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 5, that more than our worship, it really, really, really matters to him that our relationships with one another are right. Don't bother singing. Don't bother working as as, as an expression of worship to me, Jesus says, unless you've got things right with one another. Uh, If you've got things right with someone you might have offended, then bring your worship to me. But don't bother doing it until your relationships are right. Uh, It's far more important. He wants to be Lord of our relationships, you see, before ever he's Lord of our singing, Lord of our work, Lord of our ministry, whatever that is. You say, but what about if it's not so much that I have something against someone, but, but someone's got something against me? Jesus still wants you in that situation to reach out To be reconciled as much as he wants you to worship. Bitterness destroys. Bitterness destroys marriage relationships. It destroys friendships. It destroys families. It can even destroy nations. And it destroys church communities too. It needs to matter to me that someone might be offended with me. I need to be different to the average person in the street in how I deal with it if someone has something against me. I go and I get reconciled to them. In my life, I've never put the phone down on anyone. But I've had people do it to me a few times. And um, I have, by God's grace, I've always rung them back and rung them back. Even if they put it, rung them, kept on ringing them back. So if you ever put the phone down on me, I'll keep ringing you. Um, because, why? Because Jesus is Lord of my relationships. It matters to Jesus that you and I don't give up on one another in our relationships. Jesus is Lord of my relationships with my enemies. Uh, Matthew 5, next verse, verse 25. Jesus says, settle matters quickly with your adversary, with your enemy, who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you'll not get out until you've paid the last penny. Do you get this? We don't want to get to court cases. We want to put things right even with people who have legitimately or rightly or wrongly got something. We want to get it settled. We don't want to go to court. Uh, If it matters to the Lord that we're at peace with our enemies then think about it, how much more does it matter to the Lord that within the church community that we're at peace with one another in the body of Christ, that there is peace and good relationship with one another? 1 Corinthians 6, uh, Paul writes there, I'm reading from the message. You know, how dare you to the Corinthians who were apparently taking one another to court. What a good church that was. He says, how dare you take each other to court when you think you've been wrong? Does it make any sense to go before a court that knows nothing of God's ways instead of a family of Christians? The day is coming when the world is going to stand before a jury made up of followers of Jesus. If someday you're going to rule on the world's fate, wouldn't it be a good idea to practice on some of these smaller cases? We never, ever, ever take one another to court. We sort it out ourselves as believers together. Jesus has to be Lord of my relationships in the church community. Avoiding court cases is easy if you don't let anger in your heart drag on towards somebody else. Ephesians 4 verse 25, Paul makes it very clear. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor for we are all members of one body what you do matters to me what I do matters to you so he says in verse 26 in your anger do not sin do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold do you get this anger is okay We can all experience anger and frustration with one another at times. There is nothing wrong in feeling angry. However, if it's still going on after 24 hours, it's no longer anger. It has become bitterness. Jesus is Lord means I never go to sleep angry. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. In our marriage, Philippa and myself have usually, not always, but usually followed this. Even if it's meant a very late night with me trying to convince her I'm right. And um, usually ends up the other way around, but anyway. Um, I, you know, and I know from personal experience, more than, and many of you do if you're honest, more than 24 hours, and it, it, it changes something. Something changes. It can spill from a a bad evening or a bad discussion into a bad couple of days. And the longer it remains, the more deep-rooted it becomes. Short accounts, saying sorry, getting things right, even if you don't agree, but declaring love for one another and agreeing to disagree maybe at times. But that forgiveness of one another and losing anger is so important in a marriage relationship. It's important in the church community too. In the church, it matters. Look at Matthew 18 and verse 15. Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. So somebody's upset you. Somebody's done something wrong. Don't get a posse to go and see them. Go and see them privately on your own. And you realize what? Don't go and tell everybody else about it. Just you go and see them. Much of what happens in somebody, you know, people offend you. People upset you. Most of the time, you don't even need to go and see them. You can just forgive them and move on. Um. But if you need to speak to them, go and see them on your own. Um, If they come to you, by the way, and you don't know what they're really on about, admit that you must have upset them somehow, unintentionally maybe, and forgive them and accept their forgiveness of you, even if you can't quite see what it was you did wrong. Uh, Romans 12 verse 8 says, As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I've had people come to me and, and say, and they've said, Dave, I just want to say to you, I forgive you for the way you preach. <laughs> I thought, okay, uh, thank you. I, 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 accept, I accept your forgiveness. And in my mind, I think, I've no idea what you're on about or what I've done wrong, but I, you know what? I'm not going to make a big issue of this. Um, uh, what, but what about if there really is an issue and I'm not gracious to you? What if I don't accept I need forgiveness or that I've done nothing wrong? What you on about? Matthew 18, verse 16. Jesus says, if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter might be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So it's not knocking at the door and say, hello, and here's my legal team. We've come to see you. Uh, uh, Don't take your family or your connect group along. Uh, The goal is is reconciliation. The goal is bringing witnesses to get reconciliation. The goal is not to prove I'm right. Conflict is often the result of two people, both parties, equally thinking they're right. The idea here, you come with others who are objective witnesses, not my mother or, or someone they won't trust. The goal is to find someone both sides respect, so that they can say to either of you or both of you, "You are wrong." Matthew eighteen verse seventeen. Jesus says, "If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector." Telling it to the church does not mean coming on a Sunday morning with a megaphone. <laughs> it does not mean putting a big long Facebook post about it all either. It, it, it means, I believe it means telling the, those who lead the church, just as in James 5, those who lead the church have a special authority to pray for the sick and anoint them with oil. It means telling the leaders who represent the church and putting it in their hands and leaving it to the leaders then to decide whether it's necessary to treat someone as a pagan or tax collector, and even those people we want to treat well. Jesus is saying in all these things relationships are really, really important. I need to be passionate about having good relationships with people if Jesus is Lord of my relationships. It matters. It means a lot to Jesus. The church is the reason why relationships matters. At Matthew 18, next verse, verse 18, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree, right relationships, about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am in the midst. Binding and loosing and, and, and seeing prayers answered and knowing the presence of God where two or three gather His name is all in the context of forgiveness. You think of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego under great persecution being thrown into a, a fiery furnace. What was their confession? They agreed together, we're not going to bow down to your idol, Nebuchadnezzar, and we believe believe the Lord can rescue us. And even if he doesn't, we're not bowing down. In that agreement together, in the fiery furnace, the Lord himself is manifest. And the king said, I don't see three, I see four men. Uh, A fourth man in the fire. if you've got unforgiveness in your heart, if you've got bad relationship with a brother or sister, it is, you know, uh, it is the, in the church community, then don't be surprised you don't feel the presence of God. Don't be surprised you lack spiritual authority. And don't be surprised your prayers are not answered. Jesus has to be Lord of your relationships. When he's Lord of your relationships, there's, there's, there's a freedom There's an authority that comes to you that that when you pray, you know you can pray with two or three others and know he's present. You can pray and know your prayers will be answered. You can ask anything in his name. Husbands. Peter writes to the husbands and says, in the same way, 1 Peter 3, 7, be considerate as you live with your wives uh, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Men, you can fast and pray till you're blue in the face. But if you're not helping with the vacuuming and cleaning and mopping and sorting out the bins, don't expect your prayers to be answered. Jesus has to be Lord of your relationships. The Bible's very practical. It's not just about singing songs on a Sunday morning. Jesus, Lord of my relationships, means, yet, yeah, Philippa, don't do that. Let me carry that. Let me do that work. Now, back to Matthew 18 and the verses that follow. Quick mental arithmetic test. Who can tell me what 70 times 7 is? Some of you are on level 4 national curriculum. <laughs> Philippa told me that beforehand. But, but Peter asks, in Matthew 18, 21. How many times shall I forgive the brother who sins against me? And you just get Peter feeling a bit smug and proud of himself. And he said, should it be as many as seven times? Smug, smug, smug. Uh, and Jesus answered, no, no, not seven times. Peter's thinking, wow. <laughs> Perhaps it's three or four. He might be thinking of one of the other disciples. But Jesus no, 70 times seven. You can see Peter doing the mental arithmetic here, 70 times 7, 490. Uh, now, I'm sure he realized what Jesus was saying. I forgive, I forgive, I forgive, even though they don't deserve it. Even though they're serial offenders, I keep on forgiving. Forgive them when they... How did you get into the kingdom of God? Did you deserve to be forgiven for your sins? Jesus loved you and forgave you before you did anything. You didn't deserve it. None of us did. So I don't hold up forgiveness even if they refuse to repent. Even if they refuse to repent, I still forgive them. Uh, Joyce Meyer said, Unforgiveness is like drinking deadly poison and thinking the other person is going to die. Do yourself a favor and forgive quickly. Um, you know, Matthew 18, 23-35, we won't, haven't got time to read it all now. But you just read the story, you know it, many of you I believe. The story of the unforgiving servant who himself is forgiven a huge debt. And, and, and the king forgives him and then he goes off and finds another servant who owes him such a little bit. And he's unforgiving to that servant and has him thrown into prison. The king gets to hear about it, and he says, you wretched man, what have you done? I'm going to throw you now into prison for what you've done, your lack of forgiveness. And, and in the story, Jesus says, so shall, these are sobering words, so shall my heavenly Father do to you uh, if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your hearts. You don't, do you understand, you hold up forgiveness, and you don't just have The one who's doing harm to you or has a debt to you against you. But you have God trying to get you to forgive. God loves you too much to let you think forgiveness is acceptable in the kingdom of God. Uh, Unforgiveness is acceptable. Unforgiveness is totally unacceptable uh, in the kingdom of God. Unforgiveness is the number one destroyer of marriages, of relationships, of churches, of families, of nations. Unforgiveness is the number one destroyer of individuals who hold unforgiveness in their hearts. Impossible to really confess that Jesus is Lord and hold unforgiveness in your heart. Jesus at the cross, what does he say? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He's Lord of my life. I must forgive the person who hurt me really, really, really badly all those years ago. And I must forgive the person who cut me up in the traffic on my way into King's house this morning. And every other case in between those two extremes. I must flow in forgiveness. Um, Jesus, this Lord I confess, tells me how to pray in Luke 11 verse 4. Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who trespasses against us, who sins against us. This isn't optional. It isn't a perk. It isn't getting to a higher level of Christianity. This is basic if you want to live life as a follower of Jesus. Uh, For if, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 14 to 15, If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive you your sins. Unforgiveness exists because people believe you're wrong and it's time for you to get punished. But Jesus says that's the moment you can start to bless others. I remember there was a church leader who came out to visit Philippa and myself in Congo. And just basically didn't understand what was going on out there. And wrote this very, very bad report, which had implications for us later on. But wrote this very bad report about us, uh, the work we were doing in Congo, seeking to um, please God and do what we could. And wrote this very bad report. Um, when we, many years later, I was in a conference where this church leader was present, and he was an older man by then. And, um, it was at a conference centre called Nettle Hill where they had special seats. The first few seats were, were like United Nations seats. And you sat there and the church leaders used to rush and get there early. Just the first few rows only were the special seats where you could sit and swivel on your chair. And you had a little microphone to speak into, a desk. And then further back, all the other seats were just normal, standard seats. Uh, and so I never usually got there early. But one day, it was Graham Deakin who gave me a lift in. I got in early. And I sort of rushed, put my Bible down, thought, yay, I've got, I've got the best seat. I haven't I done well here? I've got one of these really good seats. I sat down there and waiting for the conference to start. And then I looked behind me and I saw this church leader who years previously had done this bad report. I'd forgiven him, but there was something still in my heart that uh, there was still a pain. When I, I saw him there, I felt God clearly speak to me. Go and offer him your seat. So I got here early for this. And I just felt the Lord pressing on my heart. No, go up. And I went back to him. And I sort of knelt by his side. He got a walking stick at the time. And I said his name. I said, do you, do you want to come and take my seat? As I said it, believe me, if ever I've heard angels sing. <laughs> seriously, I, I, I'm not joking. If ever I'd heard angels sing, that was the moment when I knew the Lord was pleased with me. Because I'd sought to bless someone who in my eyes, in my interpretation of things, had done things in a bad way towards me and acted wrongly towards me. He didn't take up the seat, but I knew that I'd please God at that time. You know, Jesus calls us to bless even our enemies. I want to just sort of, just in finishing, just make it very clear. Please don't get mixed up between forgiveness and trust. Otherwise, you'll never forgive. Um... Some people never forgive as they don't understand the difference. They, they, they think they have to trust the person who, who violated them if they forgive them. That isn't true. The woman who's been raped doesn't have to trust the rapist again, but she does have to forgive him according to the Lord. Um, you, know, you don't have to trust someone to forgive them, but you do have to forgive them. From the heart, uh, and in a husband and wife relationship, in church relationship, it's important where there's where there's forgiveness that and trust has been broken down. That trust is is worked at. Trust is is something you you seek to reestablish. Also, don't think just because you still have pain, you don't hold. I'll forgive you when the pain goes. No, you forgive even when you're in pain. Um, Recently, I had somebody just abuse my, my trust, and basically, in a roundabout way, they took money from me. I confronted them about it, and they were defensive and managed some weak apology about it, and I forgave them. They've never given me the money back, and I've not sent any, any letters demanding the money back. I don't expect to get the money back. Uh, I would not trust them with money again, but I've forgiven them, do you understand, from the heart, and so there's nothing between us. Uh, I, We are, we say it so often, we are a community building community. Unforgiveness is contagious. You don't forgive and it affects the people around you. You don't forgive your family and your family, you and your family suffer just as much as the person you don't forgive if, if not more. It matters to Jesus that forgiveness flows freely amongst us because we will upset one another we will offend one another in the workplace in the church community in the connect group Here, as they begin to take off in a new way it matters that forgiveness flows freely i just want to say one last thing jesus is lord of my friendships with all ethnicities king's church There's scores of nationalities represented amongst us across the sites, the four sites. I don't just relate to the Congolese, because that's where I was born, Congo, or just to the British, because that's the country where I grew up. It would be so sad if we ended up with connect groups that were all uh, Malaysian or all Ghanaian. One of the immense joys of King's Church, of being in a church like this, is seeing so many different nations represented. Genesis 1... I believe in a literal Adam and Eve, otherwise I can't understand passages like Romans 5. We all come from the same stock. Do you understand that? When we're born again into the kingdom of God, Paul writes, there's neither Jew nor Greek, uh, slave nor free, Gentile or Jew, uh, you know, but Christ is all and is in all. Uh, I don't care about the ethnic makeup of my connect group. I don't care about who I sit next to. When it comes to my children, who they marry, I don't care what race, what nationality, what ethnic group they marry. In fact, I celebrate mixed marriages. I joy because I believe it's something of God's heart in that I do not look at someone and say you're that sort of person you're that ethnic group, you're that ethnic group I look and I see people in the kingdom of God and it matters it matters to Jesus this is why the dividing wall was broken down, it matters immensely that we do not start to look at one another that we make an effort to speak to people of different ethnic groups that we invite them around that we're not just focusing in on our own group but that we're wide and we're Broad and we reflect the kingdom of God in who we relate to, even within the church community. Jesus, Lord of my relationships, can we just stand? Um wonder if you could stand and I'd invite you just to, to put your hand on your heart. Holy Spirit, is there anyone? Is there anyone I need to forgive? Are there any strange relationships? Just in your own heart, perhaps saying right now, determine right now, you're going to forgive them even though they might not deserve it. Say to the Lord, Lord, I'm going to forgive them as you forgave me when I didn't deserve it. Do you understand? The crucified king wants to confront you with his outstretched sword and say to you today, I want to be Lord of your relationships. Uh he doesn't want you to con- he loves you too much to continue with that strain in your heart that work relationship that relationship with family member he wants unreasonable forgiveness to flow from you by the power of the ho- you cannot you're dead right some of you saying i can't do this i can't do it you can't on your own but with god the holy spirit living in you you can and you can forgive you can forgive freely. Right now, Holy Spirit, I, I just pray right now, we just break off uh, any spirit of divorce. Not just in, in marriage couples, but in friendships, in relationships, in work relationships. And we command now and we release now in the name of Jesus. We release over every life here. Uh, we release unity. We release breakthrough in relationships. We pray for restoration and restoration of relationships. People who have not spoken to one another for years. People who have not got on together for years. We pray for a spirit of forgiveness. To sink deep into our hearts. Do the work that only you can do, Holy Spirit. I pray right now where there's strongholds in the mind. Where people are saying, I've tried and tried and tried again. We pray for renewed hope. To see relationships restored. We pray for clarity over issues of confidence. Over issues of trust. But we pray for deep-rooted forgiveness to flow from our hearts. And we say, Lord, let there be great grace right now over King's Church. We speak great grace for sustained forgiveness and reconciliation. And we pray that this will have a domino effect. And it will cause reconciliation to go from the church into the streets, into the workplaces, into the places of education, into the schools, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.